0: So let's get started. This I'm Ryan Frederick with AWH, our product consulting and creation firm. Spencer Bardsley, um, lead innovator, right? So what the, from VSP Global? Most people don't even know who VSP Global is. So I want to talk about you and your journey, but you know, talk a little bit about what VSP is because it's probably one of the biggest companies that has a presence and an important presence in Columbus that most people aren't even aware of you guys being here and what you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most people, and, and funny, kind of a funny story is I actually didn't know who VSP was until I started working for them.
0: Until you started getting a paycheck. And that's right. And then it mattered.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So VSP global is, uh, is really an insurance company, an insurance company, uh, at its core. Uh, but they also do lots of other things. They, uh, own a company called Marchand, which is now kind of part of uh, VSP Global. And they do all of the design for Nike, for uh, Columbia, for Dragon, for uh, Calvin Klein, BB, uh, some brands that you might be familiar with. Yeah. So that's, those are kind of the, uh, some of the main core businesses. We also do uh, have a lot of labs. And part of what makes Columbus special is we have a large lens lab here in Columbus, just over next to Obetz. And then we also have a large customer care center uh, out here, out in Easton.
0: So you, you, um, and I'm going to jump around from the questions that I sent you because, you know, sometimes it just, you know, strikes me in the moment to talk about one thing over another. Um, You guys recently did some sort of collaboration partnership with Beam Dental, right? Why do that? Why did that make sense? And what's the overlap there? And, you know, how did that come together?
1: Yeah, so honestly, the so you may have read the article about the, the partnership or whatnot, but really what it was is just another way for us to get more members, uh, was ultimately what it came down to is, okay, they're going to offer this to them. We're going to offer that to them, the insurance, and really that's, that's what it came down to is, is more just about getting more members for VSP. So
0: you're sort of providing the insurance, and and Beam is sort of a distribution, you know, for insurance products ultimately to back, you know, dental versus vision, right?
1: Right. Yeah. But yeah, they're just they're just offering it as a package. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. So we met a couple of years ago um, when you were still working on one of your own products and startup uh, and, and and company, um, and now you, now you're at VS, VSP as part of of innovation. Um, how, why get into this product creation, entrepreneurial innovation space? Why do you, what, why do you think you're wired to want to create things and, and disrupt things?
1: Honestly, uh, it's pretty much because I I think that there are so many opportunities that are just exciting, right? And, and from, even from a really young age, I've thought about, you know, okay, what, what can be done and how can we change this? And a lot of times it's through a product. Uh, and I think uh, I, I was thinking about kind of when, you know, just, just when was, when did I really start making products? And the first one I could remember was when I was about six or seven years old. Wow. Yeah, and what we did is my brother and I, we, we, uh, we had these two-liter bottles, so similar to this. We, uh, we got bike tires, and we would cut out the, the kind of the, the little spout. And then we would put them and drill a hole in the lid, and we'd put them in the lid. Then we'd close them up, fill it with a little bit of water, and go to the gas station and fill them up. And you could actually shoot them off a couple hundred feet uh, with the air pressure inside. Well, we thought that was great, and so we went behind of the... Uh, of
0: course you did. Yeah, we, we loved that as little kids. Stuff went up into the sky.
1: Yeah, exploding. You got wet. It was kind of fun. And so then what we did is we went behind the, uh, of course, like little gross kids. We grabbed a bunch of two liter old two liter bottles then we went over to the bike store and we asked them for all their old tires that were popped and we created a little business and started uh started selling started selling uh little caps to people at the gas station so our our demo would we'd would fill it up and shoot them off and people would come up and ask them what they were and we'd sell them for for a buck or two yeah
0: and, and and so you had you had early success, which also probably got you the bug a little bit, right? Because then you were like, "Oh, well, look, we can do this successfully because people people buy our stuff." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what? So how would you ca- characterize with that being the beginning? How would you characterize your career and your journey? Because you've been a, a product guy, entrepreneur, started companies, built products. You're now as part of an innovation team at a big company. How, if someone said, describe your career and describe your journey, how would you characterize it?
1: Uh, probably non-traditional. Um, I, I really... Uh, I most, most don't know. I actually didn't graduate as, uh, you know, in college yet. So I, I have about 190 credits <laughs> and uh, ended up doing a lot of things. And one of the main reasons... So do you have
0: trouble finishing things?
1: Well, ugh, I'll shift in my chair. <laughs> No, really what it came down to, actually what was exciting for me about college was the collaboration. And so I spent most of my time meeting and talking with professors and getting information and using the resources on campus than I did doing my schoolwork, honestly. Uh, And so, you know, I, I, I would create different things and just take, and really I ended up just using college as a way to take the classes that I needed to build the things I wanted. So that, that that's what I would do is uh, say, okay, I need to learn this. So I'd find the class or classes and go and take them and learn how to build it, learn how to do it, and then do it. So, yeah.
0: So how do you, now that you're part of an innovation team at a big company, how do you find, define innovation? Because there are lots of definitions of what innovation is or what it isn't. And I saw a, a, a graph earlier this year that said that there were something like 14 different types of innovation and one of them was you just enhance your a current service right and and you just make that service better i don't necessarily think that's innovation i think that's just being a good operator and, and making something that you already do and have better how do you sort of think about innovation
1: yeah and i agree, I agree with you you know there's iteration and then there's innovation and iteration is really just taking something kind of like I have this, I have this little phone product. It's called the Perch Mount, and uh, we iterated on it by making it bigger. Right? We didn't innovate on it. Right? We didn't do anything special to it. But one of the innovations we did make was we took it and we completely redesigned it to work with uh, a shopping cart and in a completely different experience, completely different design, completely different materials. It was ultimately, it's a completely different product. Um, and into a space that some, you know, something didn't exist currently. Uh, so I, yeah, I look at it, I, I think I look at it similar to you, to you, where I do think a lot of things are innovation, but if you want to be quote unquote truly innovative, it needs to really address something in a different way that was maybe not obvious.
0: So companies are struggling to be innovative. I think that we can mostly agree on that, right? Um, They spin up innovation departments, and then they they get a two-year run, and then the team sort of turns over, and they say, oh, we're going to do innovation differently now. Why do we struggle so much with innovation and new product creation, especially at the corporate big company level?
1: Uh, my personal opinion is because no one knows what innovation is. It's very... It's, and, and, and even my own definition is nebulous, right? It's, it's almost personal. And so what, what happens is there's... Companies don't have a process to innovate. They haven't set something up in a way to, to try things out and to try new things. And so you'll have someone say, okay, this is innovative. Let's just think of some ideas and try them, you know, or whatever. But then they forget that innovation really comes based on needs uh, and wants of who you're trying to serve. You know, it, we got lucky when we built my little, you know, my little water rocket because we liked it, so we figured other people would like it, but we actually didn't go out and find out, okay, would a lot of people like this? Well, obviously not enough people liked it because I didn't create a, a sustainable business from it. Um, and so when it comes to companies, large companies trying to innovate, they're, they're, uh, we talked about this earlier, they're kind of grasping at straws so many times where they don't, they don't know what their core is enough to be able to figure out what, what angles you know, to, to go after. I mean, Warby Parker is actually a f- fantastic example for VSP. We missed it, right? I mean, we'll, we're working on it, but it's like you know, Warby Parker really took that niche and ran with it. And you know, good for them. They created something—a process that was innovative.
0: So there's, um, I stumbled upon this belief really in the in the last couple of months um, because I was uh, I, I I rock climb occasionally, and the the best rock climber in the world is this guy named Alex Honnold, and he's he's a free he's a free solo climber, which means he climbs by himself most often, and he doesn't use any ropes. So it's climbing shoes and a chalk bag, and he climbs the biggest. You know, mountain faces and cliffs in, in the world, and does them in record time, and does the hardest lines, right, et cetera. And he he lives in a van. And so I was watching this documentary about him, and he live and he lives in a van. And as I was thinking about, wow, how does living in a van correlate, or does it, to being the best at something in the world? And it sort of struck me that he's forced constraints around himself, right. Because his life is pretty simple, right? He lives in a van, and he drives from mountain to mountain, right, climbing. And so I think constraints, and and I think this is why startups maybe can innovate and, and disrupt and build products better than big companies, because constraints force focus. So how do you sort of view the difference between startups building products and being innovative and disrupt- disruptive? Because really they shouldn't be. They don't have the advantages. They don't have the resources. They don't have the capital that big companies that do. But there's something that makes startups better at building new products than companies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head, right, is there, there are a few different, few different things, but one of them is those constraints and that uh, I was just having this conversation with someone the other day. They said, what, what, what do you feel like is the biggest difference between uh, you as a startup and you uh, it, at, at this innovation lab that kind of a- tries to act like a startup? And honestly, I said, one of the biggest differences is money. I can buy the things that I want and not just the things that I need. And that that changes things, um, sometimes good and sometimes bad. And in the way that it changes it in a bad way is you're not able to to hone in on the only thing that can make you successful like when i when i think about the businesses that i ran you know if i have $1000 i'm looking at okay where can i get the absolute guaranteed best value for spending that $1000 and you you line that out and you actually plan for that in a large company you may have millions of dollars for a project and you just kind of run through it and it might take longer even because you're not constrained by those specific things, and I think money is a, is a pretty big one um, from that standpoint. Another thing, though, is that is is that that focus being able to uh, being able to identify a niche is sometimes difficult uh, for a large company because they're not they're not identifying. Uh, all of these little things they they think okay what can make me the most money and they do that one thing it's got to be big it's right? got to be always, big out of the gate it's, it's got to be big out of the gate exactly exactly and that's that's one of the things that you know we we deal with all the time especially with investments into small companies as well is uh, you know maybe someone from our in, or our insurance line can say okay if we make this change because we're a 5 billion dollar company we make this change and it's 150 million dollars what investment can you make that will turn into 150 million dollars in a couple months you just can't do it right and so you so the business misses those opportunities which is you know one of the reasons why they created the innovation lab you know the shop was to was to try to help identify those things that we're just not going to see as a large business
0: is being bad at at product now and product management um, in your mind, is it fatal?
1: I, abso- I, I absolutely think it can be. Uh, I think in the maybe in the very rare cases where you get lucky on something that just can't be killed. You know, there's just too much there's just too much momentum, or there's too many good things about the product itself, which is a super super rare. But I think ultimately, yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I've already dealt with a couple projects like that. You know, at uh, at VSP where just was unfortunate that, uh, you know, and really uh, not really a fault of any individual person. It was just the processes weren't in place to make it successful from the beginning, and something that should have and ought to have been successful wasn't.
0: So uh, why are we not at a more mature and evolved level around product, product discipline, process? I mean, we have, I mean, the lean startup's been out for a while now. And, and Eric Reese just wrote his, you know, his second book, The of Way, which is really about corporate innovation, you know, doing better um, around product. But it's not like some these processes and principles and methodologies are brand new now. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like we've evolved very much over that period of time. It, it, so why do you think that is? Why do you think we're still building bad products and we're not getting the returns that we want if indeed we have some of these blueprints that we can leverage?
1: Yeah. Um, and it's a really good question, and I think that's obviously going to get back to your organization. But something that we talk about at uh, at at VSP was called the operational gap, sometimes dubbed the O gap, um, where you have ideas that someone may want to do within the company that that have validation already, but to get it over this chasm of of uh, of actually getting implemented is extremely difficult, uh, and and I would say a lot of projects get stuck there. You know, they don't, they're not, able, they're not able to, even if they had the right process in place to, you know, start to pursue the idea, they don't have the right process within the company to launch it, right? Who's going to manage it? Who's going who's to uh, handle it? Who's going to take care of servicing? Who's going to actually build the thing? You know how long is it going to take, and all those different things and so I think that's that 's a major portion of it. I think another side of it you know from from the operations sides that is and then on the other side, you have companies that you know they see so many big things happening they 're like, oh my gosh, this startup did this and now they 're worth a billion dollars and we 've been around sixty years and we 're only worth five right and we have this really you know s- sustainable model, and so you start to just like throw things out there as fast as you can okay let 's try this and this and this and this. And all of a sudden, you're doing 20 things at the same time, and you're not able to actually, you know, finish any of them. So, yeah.
0: How much of of innovation and being good at, at creating new products is is cultural than uh, as much as it is sort of um, process and systems?
1: I, yeah, I, I think I think they're married. They need to be married. Uh, if you have a process in place that everybody, meaning all of leadership, has um, has accepted as this is how we innovate and this is how we launch and this is how we move forward, uh, then the culture will follow. Uh, but if you don't have the culture, then you can't even get the process in place. And so, yeah, it it really does, it's kind of the chicken and the egg, but you have to have enough of the leadership to be able to create the process so that you can actually launch it. So yeah, I think they're they're basically one, not the same, but they need to be together in order to, to work.
0: What, what principles do you hold sacred around product creation that just can't be violated in your mind to give yourself a chance to build a great, successful product?
1: Yeah, I ask, I ask a few questions, but the first one I always ask is, what job is it supposed to do, or whose job is it supposed to do? You know uh and 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 try to find out if the product is doing something and then and then what value is that going to bring and then of course i get i go through the uh kind of the, the the typical process which is like who cares how many care how often will they care how much do they care how much are they willing to pay for how much they care right and and think about it from that perspective and then say then turn inward and look and say okay uh, and we were talking about this just a minute ago how far do i want to go with it do i want a billion dollar business or am i or am i okay making a you know a few hundred thousand dollars a year and just rolling in that you know and and then working those together and saying okay the product is or it isn't worthwhile like uh, i'll give you an example real quick of of the perch mount um, the little cell phone holder we we had built this mount for for a very different use initially uh, for golfing and uh, one of our business partners had gone to uh, is just a really big into crossfit and he was noticing that everybody was taping literally with tape they were taping their phones to the workout racks taping them with with workout tape <laughs> they would wrap them on there or they would set them up next to their bottle and he's like you know if we made you know what if we made a couple adjustments uh there's a real need here and then we started looking at the market, started looking at the size. We noticed that Rogue Fitness is in town who basically owns equipment for, for CrossFit. And so the first thing we did is before we made any of the changes is we went over to Rogue and we said, would you buy this if we made it? And they said, yes, we would. And we said, oh, okay, we'll make it. <laughs> it was pretty straightforward from that from that standpoint is we had a market, but then we noticed a different need and and, and focused on that to kind of, to kind of bring that out and then saying okay you know let's not make the changes until you know and until you know again what job is it supposed to do well we knew exactly what job it was going to do it was easy to define it was easy to market it was easy to tell people what it what it was and what it is and what it does
0: so it's hard for us to be humble and vulnerable right as humans yeah. so in that moment when you go to rogue and you say hey you know if we built it you know would you buy it right in that moment right? you you're you're risking them saying nah right and so oftentimes as product people we don't we don't we don't go have those conversations and ask those questions to our own demise so how if someone's not at the point that they have the recognition that they have to be humble and they have to sort of value learning right over knowing and assuming right that they're headed down the right path and they go do that user research and that validation how does somebody get in the right headspace if they're there if they're not yet there
1: yeah I mean that's a good question because it is I mean you do have to just drop your pride in a lot of ways and or you're gonna make an expensive mistake (laughs) And it really can be expensive. You know, I've, I've been there. I've, I've built some things that just really sucked. And, and I, I know I mentioned that on the bio, but, uh, you know, I had a product that we, we had tried to design to a group, but we weren't, we weren't paying attention to what they were saying. And we ended up, <laughs> anyway,
0: just So really, why not? Why weren't you paying attention to what they were saying?
1: We thought we knew what they needed, and we weren't listening.
0: Even though they were telling you something different, because this is the part that's fascinating to me. Absolutely blows is the, me away The that human I that. psychological yeah. part of this process, right? So they even say, no, what you're saying and what you're doing does not solve the problem, or we wouldn't use it, or we wouldn't buy it. But you still kept moving forward.
1: Right. And, and you know, it's funny because we'll rationalize, and I think I made even the same rational, rationalization, like with what uh, Ford said, you know. If I asked them what they wanted, they would say, a, you know, faster horse or whatever, or more horses or whatever whatever the quote was. And, you know, Steve Jobs is like, oh, I never ask my customers what they want. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, maybe, you know, that's, I, I know what they want. I know what they need. I see their problems, and they're just not getting outside of themselves. But really what, uh, you know, what we're missing is that, uh, is that we were telling him and them what we needed and what we wanted, right? A faster horse, he just provided it in a way, you know, he did provide a faster horse, right? Just in a car, and so like uh, you know, when it when it comes to that, it it is. It just blows me away too that I would have just completely and blatantly not listened, and it's frustrating because I think it was probably a huge opportunity that I missed and was unfortunate on my part. So yeah, lesson learned. And if you can learn it before you learn learn it before you make the big mistake.
0: So we we've talked uh, several times about like uh, events and hackathons f- t- serving you know people who are visually impaired and and trying to come up with with innovative ways to help solve really important um, human challenges and uh, so why do you care about that Why sort of uh, even spend five minutes thinking about? Putting together a hackathon that can help someone who's visually impaired um, see better, and have people work on that sort of a, a, a challenge, because I think it speaks to who you are as a person that you'd even care about it and 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 want to do it. Because there's probably alt- there's probably maybe some business return and commercialization value, but the value is actually more if 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 it, if someone's quality of life could be improved that that's you know, an exponential value versus what you might get from it, you know, business career or monetarily. So why even think about those things?
1: I mean, not, not, not just that we need to be decent people, but I mean, there is, I think there's an inherent just beauty in being able to see problems and trying to, trying to help out, you know, and there's communities that have major problems that don't have the resources or even like, uh, I don't know if I want to say the marketing, but like aren't, aren't being looked at. They're not, they're not, people aren't focusing on them. They just think that it's, someone is taking care of them. Oh, there's a lot of, lot of people paying money and donating, so they're good. But, you know, we forget that if you look at our lives, our lives are full of these innovations that have made them so much better because we are the majority and so people are going to continue to do hackathons for the majority and those types of things those types of initiatives need to be looked at for the minority groups right whatever that might be whether it's visual impairment or whatever and that was just the one that you know that we picked Uh, i work directly with uh with a uh, um, colleague who is blind and she's amazing and she has it's been great and just amazing to see her transition of uh, all that she can do just by having these simple innovations in her life. And just absolutely incredible. And, and, and that, that gets me excited. That gets me really excited about what the possibility is because everybody has potential. And if we can help them access that potential, it's not just going to benefit them, but it will benefit all of us.
0: So is, is the operational gap that you spoke about at VSP, is that the area that's the most challenging for you guys around new products and, and innovation? And how would you sort of rate where you guys are if on like a scale of 1 to 10 in yeah. your mind? Are, 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 you, are you guys doing well? Are you doing okay? Are you doing, you know, are you doing poorly? How would you sort of evaluate and yeah. self-assess where you guys are the process
1: yeah I mean it is I would say almost without exception every large company that's their biggest problem is 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 that operational gap and where are we on that scale we're getting better we uh, we just implemented a new uh, and very formalized uh, process uh, this just this last year and so we are currently running projects through those for the first time so we're very early in that process now we've we've been we've done innovative things as a company right and there have been quote unquote innovations but to formalize it in a way that can constantly and consistently kill or launch something uh has just not been has just not been the case and so with this in place you know i really i feel like we're headed in a very very good direction but we we are we're early so in in terms of rating I don't know, you know, if I'm if, um, rating where the company is, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty low, maybe a three in terms of implementation, but in terms of, like, where we're going to be and how that trajectory is happening and, and now the, the, you know, every, everything is, uh, the skids are greased or whatever, uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd rate us more at a seven or eight because of where we're headed. How
0: long has it taken you to develop that process? And get to the point where you can now begin to run projects through that process.
1: It was it was quite an intense it was quite an intense uh, committee. So we had it. So VSP is has so many different departments and groups. So we had to group, grab the leaders and executives and bring them all in to be able to create this process. That took us uh, about about six to eight months, I think, just to just to create it, and then get buy in from the leadership and then uh you know set it in place for us to to be able to run it through and uh, run some projects through so yeah it was it was it was a pretty intense process but the shop the innovation lab that I work with it has been around for 4 years and so we have been and that group has been uh changing the culture within the company to be able to make that as fast as it was because honestly there are lots of things that take longer than the process we implemented uh, through the company. So I think, honestly, how, how <laughs> quote-unquote quick it was, I kills me to say that word, uh, c- you know, coming from startups. But, but yeah, I, I, it, it was about, yeah, six to eight months.
0: How do you vet and determine which projects you're going to pursue and that you ultimately end up taking through the process?
1: So the basic idea is that, uh, you know, obviously they need to come with a need. Uh, there needs to be, it needs to be solving some problem. Um, for the company or, or in the
0: and, yeah. is the... and is the innovation group identifying it, the needs no, and the problems? it's actually... Or yeah, it's, is it coming from every, everywhere else be, in the company?
1: Yeah, it's going to be coming from each of the respective groups, excuse me, that the, uh, that the uh, idea is generated from. And then what's great about it is that we've set up failure points throughout the process to give people an excuse to kill it and i can 't stress this enough as one of the biggest important things in a in a in a corporation because what happens is so often you 'll get a project and it 'll cost a million two three million dollars in this corporation, and then it just keeps going and going, and nobody has the heart to kill it <laughs> because they 're like, "Oh, if we just put a little bit more money into it it 's going to keep you know we 'll be able to make it successful, but they never really started off with the right thing, and so everybody, you know feelings might get hurt if they kill and 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 you end up spending. Uh, you know, millions of dollars on something that's never even going to see the light of day. And if you put these failure points in early, you could spend just a few hours of human capital and be done with it before it even you know, goes. And so we have these kind of uh, check-in points to be able to see, okay, is this working? Is this where it needs to be? If not, then let's either change direction or let's kill it. And then uh, you're not wasting your money or your time on it.
0: What are your pro project or product teams look like so as something is going to the process is that one person working on it is it a multi-disciplinary team across the company that's working on it and how do they end up on that project or product team in the first place
1: yeah so it's really departmental specific Uh, you will have some cross-departmental projects but it's really just you know uh, the person has the idea they would go to their like their manager and if the manager approves it they would, they would bring on a project manager to start the process. And so it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Not, uh, not a lot of uh, um, cross-disciplinary things going on just because a lot of the things and the projects that will come up are really going to be for a specific problem on that department.
0: Is it more challenging? Because you, you mostly are an intangible company, yeah. right? Because you're mostly providing... Um, I care insurance yeah. is it more challenging in an environment like that to, to do innovation and to build new products versus in a, in a tangible space and inside of a true product company for lack of a better term
1: it has not been our experience from that standpoint uh, they've, given, they've given our innovation lab a, a respectable amount of autonomy to be able to look outside of itself. It's not, it's, it's not actually our job to even think really about how we can increase the insurance business from like, uh, by maybe making their plans better. You know, that's not our job. Our job is to, is to look at all of the, all of the intangibles, all the different things that, that might come up. And so, you know, for us, yeah, I haven't actually experienced that so much.
0: So how do you establish expectations and outcomes Right? How as as it's going through the process, it has to get to a point at some point where you where you say, "What's the business case around this look like?" Right? And 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 uh, w- what criteria do you put in place to say this is worth pursuing or this isn't worth pursuing?
1: Yeah. So we have very specific business initiatives uh, that we have uh, you know pulled all the way up and down through the through the ranks through leadership and down uh, executive team as well and and even through all the departments to say okay these are the business initiatives and these are the levels of those of that business initiative of those business initiatives and tying them back to them they need to have a direct tie to these and if they don't at at that point then we won't we won't do them so is that
0: one of the failure yeah you know escape yeah. hatches
1: uh-huh that's and so you we first do a high level the high level is okay is does this work with one of our initiatives yes it does then we'll we'll start pursuing it if it does not you know from the beginning obviously we won't we won't do it um and then uh as we get longer and and through the process a little bit more uh we'll see how how much closer it's getting to uh to that initiative because as you you, you know you're probably well aware uh and I, And I mentioned it earlier, you may get through a process and you may get through a product and realize that it 's probably better somewhere else, and that might be the case it 's not always the case, but you know so we have to be willing to change things around and and so you do yeah again check in again later just to see if things are still headed in that direction yeah uh,
0: i 've got uh, a couple more questions for Spencer and then we'll just we 'll just open it up and, and have a, a group discussion um, as you think about the process that you've put in place how much buy-in did you get to put that process in place or did you as the innovation team really define the process and then and then say to the rest of the company here's the process you now have access to this process versus how much collaboration was there with the business units and line of business around the process how much ownership did they have when you rolled out the process
1: Yeah, the key to the success of launching this was actually that it was not run by the Innovation Lab. Uh, We facilitated it, and we let the business mostly drive it, making sure that the key pieces were in it if they weren't mentioned, and making sure that a process process was defined. And that was was actually really key, was to make sure that the business is the one, you know, quote-unquote, the business, you know, we are also part of the business, but kind of, Know, separated from that standpoint, but just that...
0: Oh, no, you guys, you guys sit on your high and mighty throne. as the innovation group. <laughs> right. You're actually not part of the business.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, but we, we really we really made sure that they were the ones building it, that they were the ones building the process and that we were just helping with the facilitation of it uh, so that the ownership was on them and not on us. Yeah. And do you
0: look at the process as it being a... a and I'm not sure there needs to be any differentiation. But do you look at it as an innovation process or a product process, or is it one, in, or, or is it one and the same?
1: I mean, that, that kind of goes back to our original. Uh, it's it really is just more of a launching process, uh, you know, to cross that organizational gap. Because whether something is innovative or iterative, it doesn't really matter, as long as it's beneficial. And so you could have something iterative that's, again, very, very, very profitable. Uh, and that's great. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really more of a launch process and not the, quote-unquote, innovation process. Yeah.
0: Cool. Questions for Spencer? Did you have one? Go ahead. Yeah, do you uh, grab the mic from
1: Darren? It's just easier for him on the recording. Yeah, okay. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the... Um, the people you pick for working in the innovation lab—I mean—is there a, a difference in how you look at the people that you pick for that type of position versus, a, you know, say, a normal, everyday a job in the, in the product development group? Yeah, for the most part, the, those who have worked in the, and who work in the innovation lab have come from the business itself; um, have come from in and not from without. Uh, as, as far as I know there's only been a couple really that's kind of come from outside myself being one of those uh, into it and I asked this question actually when I first started uh, you know how, every, how did everyone actually get in there and what it really came down to were, were the people who couldn't like couldn't stay in their current jobs right they were, they were like uh, they, they were doing so many it was were, the land of the
0: misfits yes
1: it, it's exactly right you know and and so the the director leader out in in Sacramento which is where headquarters uh are you know he was basically you know taking these groups out and 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 putting them together in this in this in this group to say like okay you know we know that you're the right kind of individual let's get you in here and let's, let's work, let's work together on something. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of how it happened. Now in, in our, in our East shop, which, so we have three locations, uh, Sacramento, Columbus, and then New York city. Um, they're mostly designers, like actual eye, eye, uh, eyewear designers. And so we, we, uh, pulled in a group, um, into the shop and, and that actually included the group that does Nike, uh, eyewear. So as, as kind of the, uh, um, the design arm of our, little mis group of misfits yeah
0: i'm i'm sure i'm sure, sure that the does do you think the current team in the innovation group and the team that was in place before you joined do you think they would self identify as being sort of misfits or rebels and and absolutely okay That's important that they, if they didn't know it, that they now know it and can self-identify that way.
1: Yeah, it was actually crazy, you know, talking with everybody about their stories and how they were very similar but different, you know, in in the fact that, you know, their experiences were were just that that kind of push and shove with the business. And, yeah, and that this was basically what allowed them to, you know, blossom. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So um we went through a lot of you know the, the
0: process angle I think he asked about whether it's a innovation process or launch process but I mean when you say the launch process uh does it take the the idea up to the point where you know whether it's viable to launch as a product or uh, is it something else how how do you really identify that
1: Yeah yeah so I guess one clarification as well so the process is is like the master process right it, you know if if you want to call it that we, we, uh, we dubbed it the initiative pipeline um, and not the innovative pipeline for that exact reason. And because some of the products, because we are such, excuse me, because we're such a large company with so many employees, uh, a lot of the products that may get developed may just be inside, right? They may, they may not be a product that launches outside of the company. It may just be an internal process. It may be a development that helps us be more... Uh, you know operationally sound or you know that type of thing so it it really it really isn't it's 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 uh it's agnostic to that type of thing so I think that may change your question just a little bit okay yeah that that does help so thank you for that and I had a very
0: general question on product management is that is that okay to ask you sure because of your bios essentially um so when, when could you comment on you know what is the what is the part of you as a product manager, that, that you absolutely hate? What,
1: what is the grunt work part of product management? The, the worst part of project management? The grunt work kind of thing, that, some, <laughs> that is something boring, something that you absolutely hate, being a product manager. Oh, making sure people do what they're supposed to. <laughs> no, That's <laughs> with everything, any job, so. No, it is, it is, but, uh, you know, when it's when uh, you, It's always <laughs> the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, just, uh, just making sure all that stuff gets done. I mean, you know, it's, but it's the stuff that you have to do. Maybe it's not the most enjoyable thing but for me. But it's also, ironically, interacting with the people is also the most enjoyable part of the job.
0: <laughs> yeah, Brian. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, how do, you, how do you, you talked about the thing where executives or other people in the business are seeing other competitors doing things, and you end up kind of with a shotgun, just blasting away and not focusing. How do you kind
1: of combat that? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a tough one. Um, yeah,
0: how do you how do you not chase innovation that someone else is already sort of pursuing? Right. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah.
1: Make <laughs> so when I, when I'm talking with with uh, people who are cause going all different directions, what I what I usually say is, "Oh, it sounds like you have shiny light syndrome, uh, and you know, or shi- shiny object, uh, you know, syndrome." And they're like, "Well, well, what is that?" It's like uh, you know, you see a shiny object and you run after it, and you leave the one that you had in your hand. Uh, on the ground, and uh, you know this is this, this is a, this is actually a huge huge problem uh, with I, w- I would say with startups as well. This is also this is also a really big thing. And so how do you get a how do you get an executive to to uh, to not do that? Is you have to be brutally honest. And uh, I was having a conversation the other day, and and we were just talking through it, and I said, no, no, you have to pick one. It's like, it doesn't mean that we can't do the others. It doesn't mean that the others aren't important. It doesn't mean that they're not viable. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make money off of them. You have to pick one first. Let's pick one. Let's see if it works. And then let's go from there. And, if, if, and the way that I was helping in this particular conversation is I helped them see how uh, the other shiny objects could be dominoed. All right, these can be this could help with this, which could help with this, which could help with this. So let's just do this one. And then these other ones can fall. Uh, And that that was how I approached it. But I mean, you you just have to have that frank conversation with them and just be willing to be willing to say, look, you know, I know that if we, if we start chasing multiple things at the same time, we're going to do, we're not going to do both of them well, well enough, unless you want to hire another 10 people. Do you want to hire another 10 people? And ask them straight up. Like, if you want to do this right, then we need to get the right personnel on it. If you want to do this, let's let's go ahead and hire a team. You know, I'll set that up tomorrow. Do you want me to do that? You know, and just like, like I don't know, that, that's, that's where I would go with it is just be so brutally honest because on, at the end of the day, if you spend three years on this, on 17 projects and none of them come to fruition, then you've just wasted everybody's time, you know, and probably be out of a job. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I would double down on that. We've got, I won't mention any names, but we've got a large company in town as a client, and I'm convinced one of the reasons that they engaged with us is because during uh, conversations, one of the things they said was, how can you help us deal with executive edicts? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they and said, well, I'll give you an example. An edict will come down from the executive layer that – We're not showing enough progress. And I said, okay, in and of itself, that's not terrible. How does that manifest itself? What happened in one project is mock-ups for a digital experience went from being mock-ups in design over to development because an edict came down that enough progress wasn't being shown before those mock-ups got validated with users. And so they built the wrong thing. And so they showed progress... To honor this executive edict But then they violated the process right? And and so then they had very little hope That it was actually going to work But what became more important Was honoring the executive edict Versus actually honoring What was in the best interest of the product And in the best interest of the company So executives do great harm To their companies When they think they're acting In the best interest of the company And and then they're really not So you have to And so my response to this person was I would go have a conversation with that executive to say, what are you more interested in? Are you interested in people just acting and reacting based upon what you said? Or are you actually interested in being building a product that actually might give you a return? Right? So don't harm and don't cause your people to violate the process because you 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 have a moment of inspiration or desperation or exasperation.
1: Yeah. And any other
0: word that I can come up with that ends in chun.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that, too, because I, I literally had to go through that, that exact situation where they put me on a project that had been developed uh, already but had no user information on whether or not people actually wanted it. And it, it blew me away. It, blew, it blew, absolutely blew me away. And so I had to pretend like it didn't exist to go back and, and do the process for real to see if there's even any reason to have the app.
0: Did you luck out? And what was the did, did the app align at all with what the research, user research and validation was? Did you at least get get it, lucky?
1: It, it did. We got lucky in some ways, but we don't know. I at the point at this point right now, I'm not sure if it was lucky enough. So it's now one of those projects that's just kind of getting shelved because because at at this point, you know, I have you know, I made some recommendations on where it could go, but that's not where it is. And so then now. The question is, is, well, we could spend a little bit more to get it where it needs to be based on the research. But because we've already spent so much in the past, are we willing to now spend that money? And so it was just, you know, it's a waste.
0: Yeah, I run around giving a presentation on how human nature impacts product creation. And it's hard enough at a startup level to get and stay close to customers. It's even harder at a big company. Because ego gets in the way and and, um, people are, are paid to know things and not learn things, right, and all those kinds of things. And yet the one thing that will be the greatest determiner of a product success or failure is how closely you iterated with customers and users during the product creation process. That's the one thing that will give you some barometer of are we are we likely to ha- build a product that is going to work or not work is how iteratively and intimately do you work with customers and users. Yet, even though we know that, we often don't do it because of our own complication to the process as humans and then departments and teams and companies. Yeah, so... I would have direct conversations with those executives. I guess is the sum of all that to, to really point because I'm not sure they all they know and they understand these ramifications, right? And these attributes of building products.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't sacrifice the process.
0: Please help me thank Spencer for joining us this afternoon.